Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. It's like there's something happening here. And what it is ain't exactly obvious. The great impasse has spoken! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Who are you? Who are you? A very bad man! I'm a very good man! Good man! They think they lost, and with no more brains than you have. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, the CEO of the crypto company Celsius, Alex Mashinsky, your boy, has halted all withdrawals on a day where cryptocurrencies are tumbling. You're the big crypto guy of the podcast. You still think like the fucking blockchain is the answer to all of our problems? If only we had the blockchain our podcast would be so much more successful. I know. I don't know how. I don't know how, but somehow the blo- having the blockchain on the back end of our podcast would have made us famous. Well, well we're, we're doing <laughs> NFTs of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't know this, man. What a scam. Like, you know what this reminds me of? It's like uh, uh, in Argentina, <laughs> they're just like banks would just take uh, like bank days because yeah. it was inflation was so rampant and the, the value was tumbling and so there's just days that you just uh, yeah you, you couldn't get your withdraw. money no you yeah. just can't get your money it's so crazy the funny thing about this guy your boy alex mashinsky is literally the day before people were expressing like they're not going to let us withdraw the money and he was chiding them he's like why are you like spreading fake news and disinformation when like name me one person that has had trouble withdrawing from celsius that was the literally yesterday and then today they've just like stopped do, like, giving any withdrawals to anybody you know, what's crazy is like, you know, uh, crypto is supposed to be, and we're going to get, I'm sure, email from all these crypto people. So, but don't, I don't want to hear it. We, um, don't, we really don't care. <laughs> okay. we, we don't care one way. We're not that, we, we don't care one way or the other. No. But the very, the very like promise of this was this sort of decentralized, untraceable. Mm-hmm. Now it's just like these centralized companies that create their own stupid coins and services. Like I actually bought uh, crypto, I don't know when, like a t- a year and a half ago or some two two years ago and at its peak i had like doubled my money and i just opened up my coinbase to after you asked that question and it's like down like 500 dollars less lower than i had put in i've just like lost 500 <laughs> in the, like the last two weeks or something it really is like what you were saying it's like animal farm you remember animal farm (laughs) where it's like at first it's this new thing that's going to like revolutionize and reform and all the like corruption will be but by the end you can't tell like human from pig anymore (laughs) you know like right the thing is like you know in, in the ideal you were supposed to have say bitcoin and you would have your personal wallet that was encrypted and it lived physically on one of your hard drives 
and you know you could go to to the actual dark web not the intellectual dark web you could go to the actual dark web and so use like eric those. weinstein or... <laughs> yeah you could buy mushrooms from eric weinstein but it, nobody wanted to do that because it's a pain in the ass like there are people who actually have hard drives that they forgot their passwords for it and there's just like millions of dollars of, <laughs> yeah. of like bitcoin in it and it's just it's inscrutable and and it's a barrier to all the non-serious nerds so then they just start things like coinbase where you're not really exchanging crypto in the right. way that it was intended you're just sort of playing the market of the value of the crypto right. and it's just like completely taken over by just i know you don't like this word but shyster i don't, well, I don't know why you don't like well, it it's very anti-semitic but the <laughs> it, it it does seem like the purity of it has been long <laughs> transcended and now it's just like a, a total like unapologetic ponzi scheme it is and it's like um, and <laughs> And Elon Musk can just tweet about the, you know, Dogecoin, which is like a joke cryptocurrency, and pump up the value and make a ton of money on it. Yeah. The rich and then they richer. just won't let the poor suckers that bought like the like all of this. They just like, no, we're not giving you your money. You can't. You have to just watch the market tank and all your money like <laughs> disappear. Like, and we're not regulated. That was the whole point. So like, right. nobody can stop us from doing this. <laughs> That's right. One of my f really good friends, he knows somebody who had like 200,000, but he just lost the password. <laughs> yeah. And like that would, a hundred percent is something that I would do if I <laughs> had it. I would definitely lose the password. Like, I, and, 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 you know, then there's just nothing you can do. It's like when we lost the audio for that episode, it's like, there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing. nothing that will get it back, you know? Yeah. It's a desperate uh, uh, feeling. The I know a, a a podcaster Leo Laporte. He's a pretty well known tech podcaster, and he has a hard drive that is just sitting there. He has like enough Bitcoin that would have been worth like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars by now. He's pretty just like nonchalant about it. He's like it wasn't worth that much, yeah. you know, when I first got it. And but he completely forgot the password. And if he tries to enter too many times, like to enter right. the password too many times, it'll actually lock him out for good. <laughs> I so heard that too. Yes, yeah. sitting there. <laughs> like, Permanently yeah, so he's been out. like almost a millionaire. I would feel better if it tanked if I had one of those hard drives. Totally, around. I would of course. Be rooting for yeah, it yeah. It's just gambling on something that's less stable than college basketball. It's at least college basketball bookies. The bookies will pay it out. <laughs> exactly yeah i mean you there know, are like, consequences if they don't that's the good side of regulation as corrupt and inefficient and incompetent and all you know like all the problems with it are true but you know that does provide some kind of security for you right like the fdic you know like yeah, exactly. if someone robs the bank you're not shit out of luck um, the other like funny thing about it is that it's like also destroying the environment. So it's not yeah. even just defrauding people. Right, which is crazy. Like so you you know, we remember the 2008 crash that was a, a result of, you know, terrible financial practices of swapping mortgages. Like our Zoomer audience probably was probably very young when this happened, yeah. but yeah. Um you probably remember your parents crying. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when getting really <laughs> fucking angry, really right. pissed when the banks got bailed out. Probably hit you, you know, like it was right. nothing personal. It wasn't because they don't love you. But at least at the end of that, there were like more houses 
in like yeah. in the world and whatever whatever hit <laughs> right. the, the environment took was an, a hit of like you know putting all that work into right. into you know deforesting to build houses you're right like it does leave a trace sometimes the trace when these things collapse is negative but at least <laughs> right. it's a trace you know at least it re- existed in the first place you know right. it, it wasn't just a like it just churning out numbers the, and the only thing crypto has left a trace on is that there are going to be a bunch of just like graphics cards that people bought to like run these crypto things and, and, and yeah what's incredible is like you remember the super bowl and like matt damon and larry uh, fucking david like of all people doing and and you know like it just spike keeps going lee. did you ever see spike, spike lee yeah. oh man how do you feel about that now if you're one of these people and like because you didn't need the money they probably just uh, offered them so much money super they'll just bowl, get like uh, yeah. i'll just give 10 million dollars to give well or something and then like <laughs> to ease my conscience and like pocket the other 40. Yeah, you know, it's it's painful. We're gonna look back on this uh, on this era and be like, "What were we all smoking?" It's like tulip mania, but for weird nerd shit. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, it gives me developing country vibes to know that there are people who can't take their money out, just like in Argentina when I was a kid. <laughs> right. There's just something deeply wrong with the way things are going. Uh, that's it's not it's not good, especially if you have. Well, I mean, it's just not good. Period. Well, you know what is good is that uh, we uh, we're going to do an opening segment yeah. um, about a paper that we had read that we thought wasn't very good and might lead to a funny conversation. But the moral saints, the moral heroes that we are, <laughs> this should restore your faith in the human spirit right now. <laughs> what Dave, Dave is made, about to tell you. <laughs> yeah, we made a last minute call not to do this because. Uh, the lead author was a student and it turns out that it was their honors project and we don't want to shit on anybody like that Um, yeah it would have been funny though (laughs) it would have been funny so like imagine like conjure up in your mind a very funny opening segment but then also think about the moral virtue of two you know older professors not wanting to heep the scorn on on, on a young student uh, uh, us tenured fat cats as people have like <laughs> right <laughs> saying academia is good or or not as bad or not obviously as bad as industry or something like that like that's not going to win you a lot of <laughs> praise <laughs> it's like one of the most controversial things you could say apparently okay. yeah and it's true it's like i get it like i can 100 get that you know for two people who it's happened to have worked out for um, two white males, whatever, all that yeah. shit. Even if what we're saying is reasonable, it's like, still, fuck, fuck these guys. Yeah, and I maintain that my primary point was that industry is actually bad. So one thing we like talked about, but we weren't prepared to do was, it was just an idea called Substack Starters, <laughs> where we give an opinion, a belief that we honestly have, at least to, a, to some degree, that we think could lead us to have a profitable substack. Right. So, so like, what, what ideas are floating around in our head that would be a great grift for opening up our own substack? But yeah, it, it, it had to be, it could just be joke, like for, like for the Journal of Controversial Ideas, we just made yeah. some stuff up. This would have to be like, what do you really believe that might be able to get that substack off the ground? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sign up for my newsletter. Um, and I, I like I don't think either of us are prepared. I had like one idea just literally based on something I saw today today on um, I don't know, do you have anything? 
Well, I, I again didn't feel prepared until I was at a wedding this weekend, actually Paul Bloom's wedding. Uh-huh. And I was talking to somebody about music and it turns out that the claim that that anything musical might have, there might be some sort of innate basis for uh, mus- musical appreciation, not even the ability to play uh, an instrument or anything like that, but that something like melodies, like our, our aesthetic appreciation of certain harmonies or melodies versus cacophonies, that it might be just something that we're quote unquote hardwired with is apparently a very controversial idea. So I'm willing to stake my flag in the in the claim that some things are universal and innate. And I think that that might be enough. Wow. That so was... just full on eugenics <laughs> is what you're saying. <laughs> it's just like, let's just, you know, weed out the people who don't have the proper like genetic appreciation of certain harmonies. <laughs> Like shoot them, um, uh, yeah. I I have I'm in a department where the any like any whiff of making a claim that something is innate would get me scorn, and I used to joke that my colleagues didn't even believe that arms were innate, and I made that joke to one of my colleagues. He didn't even laugh. He just launched into like a description, like a an explanation for why that particular claim didn't make sense in the context of like I was like no. I actually have one socially constructed arm. <laughs> Does it work better or worse it, than the other one? <laughs> it really depends. Is it the one you jerk off with? <laughs> that's the one. That's no, wait, great. that's probably the more uh, hereditary one. <laughs> the, or socially con- the socially constructed one is lazier. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow. No, well, it just thinks like, oh, you're not supposed to do that, you know, or at least quite as often. You know, but yeah, then the other one's like, fuck that. Like, this isn't, this is in me. This is like, it's unchangeable. Cause all, as we know, anytime there's any kind of genetic, that's right. Like relationship, that means Immutable. it's unchangeable. But, but with socially constructed things right. are uh, completely and totally what, alterable. Yeah. And every, anything genetic is, is like obviously correlated with race and gender. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, so what was yours were you gonna were, well, were you gonna I, turf were you gonna turf your way to Substack? yeah right I was, <laughs> mine is uh, trans people are ruining women's sports <laughs> like that's that's mine there's just too many of those Substacks by now you know I know it's like it's, hard to break into the like trans people like you have to find something else that trans people are ruining because I guess it's very popular to blame them yeah, for them, so, yeah. Um, what else like Stranger Things they're, they're ruining Stranger Things <laughs> wait is there a trans character in Stranger Things I don't know but or, or no here like this is just honestly true I don't hold this against trans people I have absolutely no issue but kind of they were responsible for Ted Lasso season two like <laughs> they were in the writer's room you're not even you don't even know for sure but they like sounds no, like they weren't in, i don't think so like actually and i don't think there's a trans character on the show i just mean that the general kind of not really knowing like what's a man and what's a woman that that just led to <laughs> unforeseeable consequences to these political <laughs> opinions um, exactly, but it has to be called out on my substack. No, the thing that I actually believe is that I think could start me a substack, maybe it's probably almost all of my COVID beliefs. <laughs> Specifically, the thing I was saying I saw in the Atlantic today is like, you know, because they, they have a lot of his COVID hysterics. Uh, the headline is of this article, a negative COVID test has never been so meaningless. 
a string of negatives can still presage a clear as day positive. <laughs> it's like literally nothing will satisfy these people. It's just like nothing is good enough. Like you can get vaccinated, boosted, like all of that shit, which the, you know, was supposed to be the thing that's, uh, and, and, and you're supposed to be testing and you're supposed to be, and, and it just doesn't matter. It's like, they'll still be like, why are you not taking this seriously anymore? Like what's wrong with you? But like the idea that like, just like negative at this point, <laughs> like over the test, like what do you, what, what do you want people to do if like, you know, you don't even want them to test because it's, it's me, it's meaningless. And in fact, if you <laughs> test negative a few times in a row, that's like, uh Oh, like you're probably positive. <laughs> that's extra evidence. That you're positive. Yeah, it's just like, uh, you know, and I'm sure maybe some of these questions are answered in the, in the <laughs> article itself. <laughs> I'm not denying that, but still. So is was your analysis going to be like if you follow the money you'll see that they're that, that, that they're trying to circulate covid hysteria to like up to like get more clicks or do you think that it's not even tied to that anymore now it's just become a political position that's like in, functionally independent of whatever Yeah I was think I've actually thought about that question it's a good question like I it doesn't seem to track well with money you know like to be all worked up about covid i mean it did for the farm for like pfizer and moderna and uh you know to a lesser extent to my vaccine of choice uh, johnson and johnson but that part of it is over now and so like all this stuff i think is more it's 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 it taps into a kind of american psyche that i think is definitely of like the up, upper middle classes of just being like scared of anything and like always thinking that nothing is being taken seriously you know like crime now like like there's a this group of people think right now like walking out of your house you're taking your life into your own hands you know like uh, so we go on next door and people will be saying it's the fucking wild west out there it's like a nice neighborhood of houston you know it's like it's ridiculous like i think that's and i think this is just like a part of people's psychology that then can be exploited for clicks and stuff like that but there's not some deeper reason where like you know some massive corporation it's more just the atlantic wanting clicks it's interesting because the fear of doing things just like the the, the fact that the world is threatening was for so I thought for so long something associated with conservative beliefs that like yeah. the way to get uh, conservatives going is to do that you know the the political ad showing the nuclear bomb going off with the little girl from that you were yeah or that like Willie Horton or something like yeah that. exactly like that the conservatives are the uh, clutching their purses kinds of people um, but that's it just doesn't cut so neatly that way anymore. Um, it's sort of weird that that COVID has become something that goes in such the opposite direction where, it, you know, I remember being at my uncle's funeral in South Carolina at the height of the pandemic. Nobody was wearing a mask. Just nobody. Like, yeah. It, just weird. Like you were just. Yeah, because, you know, like masks aren't the be all end all, it turns out. Yeah. Um... <laughs> uh... Yeah, but so. yeah, so like I, I, I do think like with this issue, um, I have opinions that are more outside of the mainstream, but that some people are like very passionate about, you know. Yeah. Even though I'm not like super passionate about. You're more about bicycle helmets. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, I should have just done that, but now it's over because I've won. <laughs> uh.
sharks. <laughs> yeah, I don't have I, I don't have much much more to contribute. I, I was gonna. I was going to ask whether libertarian beliefs, like I have some libertarian beliefs that I think oh, totally. would, be, would be contra my, my people. Um, but now I don't even know anymore. Like, is, is it even controversial to say that all drugs should be legalized and regulated? Like, no, I don't think so. It's not going to get you a substance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you should uh, stick to your like pro eugenics position. Yeah, I think so. I'll be. I'll even be willing to say that that a large part of intelligence is heritable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have said that, and somehow (laughs) you've like skirted out of you know, like that's that's good thing about not writing. You know, it's just like (laughs) so much harder to get your scandalous takes on like race and IQ. (laughs) Uh, That said, why don't we do? Why don't we talk about flow? We didn't even say what we're talking about. (laughs) Oh man. It's going to be the worst, most rambly intro for you to edit. All right. Yeah, we'll be right back to talk about flow. And now a word from our sponsor, longtime sponsor, BetterHelp Online Therapy. You know, it feels like we're busier than ever these days. And sometimes it seems like life is just one stress or anxiety producing thing after another just piling on and it's so easy to get burned out. If you feel a lack of motivation or maybe if you feel detached or constantly tired, you know that feeling like you're moving through molasses when you walk or just stand up. All these feelings can be signs of burnout and stress. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to take your physical and emotional health seriously. You spend a lot of time doing things for other people at your job, at home. It's important to prioritize yourself too. Talking with someone, an unbiased observer, a trained unbiased observer, trained to help people discover the sources of their stress and anxiety and some effective ways of addressing it, that can make such a big difference. I know so many people who have been helped by therapy in ways that they never thought possible. Everyone is so much more open about going to therapy these days. I just watched the new uh, Stavi Baby special, Stavros, on YouTube. He's talking in the special, in the comedy special, about how much therapy helps. It's, it's really one of the great changes of the last few years that people are so much more open about the ways that therapy has helped them. And BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to ever see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Very Bad Wizards listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash VBW. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash VBW. Thanks, as always, to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode.
Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the time of the episode where we like to take a moment to thank all of our listeners, our community of supporters for everything that you do, including engaging in conversation with us, emailing us, engaging in conversation with each other. We really appreciate it. And that community is, as we always say, what keeps us going. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us, verybadwizards at gmail.com. Um, we again, always read every message, even if we don't have time to get to them all. You can tweet to us at Tamler or at peas. You can join our Reddit lively Reddit community, reddit.com slash r slash very bad wizards, where you can not only get to interact with us every once in a while, but interact with each other and argue amongst yourselves, which is the best kind of arguing as far as it doesn't involve something. Exactly. Uh, you can visit our Instagram page. Go ahead and follow us there. Um, uh, just at Very Bad Wizards. Rate us on Apple Apple Podcasts if you can, if you are willing. So give us whatever rating you want. But you can leave us a review. That actually uh, matters. Just help other people find us, or tell somebody. Just tell somebody about our podcast. Maybe that's the best way to do it. And finally, you can listen to us or subscribe to us on Spotify. We think that matters too. I think it matters increasingly. Yes. And like, yeah, like tell one person or tell f- five people, but tell them to also tell five people. It'll be like, yeah, that's sort of multi level like, like thing. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, yeah, no. And then we'll attach like an crypto. NFT to, <laughs> to it at some point. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, or if you'd like to not do that, get involved in all that, but you want to still support us in more tangible ways, um, you can. Give us a one-time or recurring donation on PayPal. You can go buy our swag. All of this, by the way, is on our support page at verybadwizards.com. So you can buy swag there. You can also um, become one of our beloved Patreon supporters. And we try to – we're so grateful to all of them. And we try to return our gratitude – well, not return our gratitude, express our gratitude – by giving some nice bonus content. We just dropped uh, today a uh, deep dive into Lost Highway. I got the Lynch gang back together, uh, Jesse Graham and Natalia Washington. The, the, Lynch, the Lynch gang sounds like a terrible moniker. It is, like, I know. And there's so many good ones if you're Lynch fans, you know. Um, but they are all taken by other people, (laughs) you know, in any case, uh, yeah, that was fun. And you, uh, once a month you'll get, uh, audio of ask us anything bonus episodes as well. You and I are going to do another bonus episode. Just finished a rewatch with lie of the shield season one. We could do something. Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah, That would be fun. So, um, yeah, and then uh, at $5, uh, so $1 and up, you get Dave's Beats and ad-free episodes. $2 and up, you get bonus episodes, all bonus episodes, plus those monthly Ask Us Anything audio. $5 and up, you get access to our Brothers Karamazov series, uh, five-part episode that we are very happy with and proud of. And you get to vote on a listener-selected episode and um, finally, at $10 and up, you get to ask us anything every single month. You can leave us a question, and we will. We have so far at least answered 
all questions that have been posed to us. You can uh, that and, and you'll get a video of us replying to you plus the audio um, as well. So thank you to everybody so much for your support. It means so much to us. Let's get to yeah. the main segment. All right, Tamler, let's get to uh, our main topic for this episode, which is something that we have talked about maybe on a few podcasts, but never a full episode. Uh, and that is the concept of flow. But flow is a concept that was developed initially by the, the person with the most challenging name in all of psychology, <laughs> <laughs> Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. 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 That's, just remember Csiks sent me high. It doesn't make sense as a sentence, but um, yeah. he was Hungarian. Uh, he passed away actually last year, but here, yeah, here we go. Remember. Me high, cheek sends me high. <laughs> cheek sends me high. Chick sent me high. It's like you got someone like in LA just sending you weed. <laughs> exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, Chick sent me high was a uh, professor at Claremont, um, the graduate school in psychology. And he developed this very influential concept of flow as a sort of uh, psychological state that is highly motivating, intrinsically rewarding. And it's one in which sort of your skill level and the challenge of an activity match up perfectly so that you kind of lose yourself in that activity. Um, and we thought it'd be interesting to read the classic paper on this. In fact, I had never read it, even though it was you know, I, I'm sure I read articles on flow. Um, yeah. The original uh, article where he lays out the sort of conceptual framework is this great article, I, I thought at least, from 1975 called Play and Intrinsic Rewards. Um, yeah. So, Tamler, you knew, yeah, had you ever read anything about flow? It's always been secondhand, you know, like, so, you know, Paul's book has a little section on it and definitely like. You read that? <laughs> we did an episode on it. Do you remember? Yeah, right. Like we read every word of it. Some Buddhist Zen inspired books talk about the concept itself and refer to Csikszentmihalyi. Uh, that's good. good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in, in their work. But I'd never really read this. I even have the book Flow. Um, but it's always been such a like, I don't know, intuitively appealing concept. Yeah, totally. uh, I'm so glad we decided to just... Uh, dive into you know what of some of the stuff he actually said about it because it it lived up to my fairly high expectations. Yeah, I highly recommend reading this article too. So, um, you know, flow for me had been this concept that was around already, obviously when I was in graduate school, but it had kind of become like a cottage industry of folks who were interested in it. And I get why now. I understand a bit more why. So, like the psychology of sports especially there's just a lot of yeah. of um or, you know productivity that kind of that that kind of yep. people who are like into things like growth um yeah. you know <laughs> everything gets de everything good gets debased you know <laughs> exactly. like it's, it's probably like corporate training <laughs> sessions on how to improve flow in your employees yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's capitalism we'll just take any just like and especially with flow where it's the whole point of it is that it's not like that <laughs> right it's just right pure you like know? intrinsic motivation is like central to <laughs> yeah and i like that he, he talks about that right like he talks about he says psychology even psychologists when they're 
studying play because actually initially yeah. this starts out being about play they usually focus on play as a means to some other end but not as a process which is important to understand in its own right ethological psychologists will say play allows us to experiment with like all these kinds of behaviors in a non-threatening setting and then learn by trial and error without paying too high a price for errors so it's like everything has to be productive like a means to some sort of end for it for the concept to be something that you can study i think it's more just part of just that that at that western attitude of yes. everything is a means to an end everything is instrumental yeah no absolutely like what can what can play do for my child right? like will <laughs> yeah, it make right. him, will it make her smarter will it make her you know outcompete her her uh, whatever classmates yeah right. i think it's just, it's like this fundamental mistake in levels of analysis that psychologists should know better than to do but they often don't um which is it makes as a psychological state it's act it's to me true and reasonable to say that it is uh rewarding unto itself and you don't need a theory about why you and i would want to do something that gets us into a flow state because it's just rewarding in and of itself but then right. of course you have you can ask the question so like why would creatures like us have that and that becomes an evolutionary question i suppose you one of which is fine right it's a different question exactly it's not going to be helpful in studying the phenomenon itself right and right. what makes it so pleasurable and what are the conditions that uh, allow you to achieve it so okay so this article that in 1975 is i thought great because it is it's just you don't see people write like this uh, that much anymore all of the times that we've sort of bitched and moaned about theory and psychology and and we say things like there needs to be more good descriptive work and and we'll talk about yeah. sort of like that ash paper where he he makes a call for more of that kind of work but it's rare to actually talk about a paper that does it um, because yeah. they just don't exist but that's exactly what he does here he actually starts by saying like yeah this is going to be a paper where I'm going to try to flesh out this concept of what it means to be in this particular psychological state that that is rewarding. You know, no, there's no need for external incentives that people seem to lose themselves in. And he wants to try, try to map out the features of those kinds of experiences independent from like whatever activity people are doing. He wants to provide a more general, you know, broad explanation for what all of these states have in common. And he does it by interviewing people for of yes. all things <laughs> and yes. quoting them. Um, you know what this is like? It's like the more modern, it's not modern day because it's like 50 years ago almost, but like William James. Yes, you know, like, exactly. It, I, was, know, I had William that same J thought when you were, yeah, when I was reading. He doesn't interview people, but he just quotes them mm -hmm. at length in the same way that uh, Chick Sent Me High does, you know? Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, so let's talk about, like, the different features of it, right? Yeah. Or just, uh, like, let's... I want to read what he says flow denotes, because I think yeah. this is the first time he, like, this he is, used the term, right? Yeah, this is. This is the where he coins it. Flow denotes the holistic sensation present when we act with total involvement. It is a kind of feeling after which one nostalgically says that was fun or that was enjoyable. It is the state in which action follows upon action according to an internal logic, according to an internal logic which seems to need no conscious intervention on our part. We experience it as a unified flowing from one moment to the next in which we feel in control of our actions and in which there is little distinction between self and environment between stimulus and response or between past, past, present, and future. 
I mean, it's so Zen-like yeah. also in terms of, you know, like these are exactly the features of like what, you know, Zen teachings tell us could be just our moment to moment life. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he says, so one that experience, this kind of experience, which he relates to what, what um, Maslow referred to as peak experiences and you know, some other people have touched on it. Uh, he says it's you see it in religious ecstasy sometimes um, you see it in sports you, you see it in a sort of a variety of activities sex S- does he say sex yeah no i missed i missed that i can't believe it. um i'm just so, such a prude my eyes glossed <laughs> right over it. <laughs> two points need to be stressed about flow he says one is that this experience seems to occur only when a person is actively engaged in some form of clearly specified interaction with his environment it could be primarily physical, emotional, or intellectual, but in each case, the person is able to use some skills in acting on a limited area in his or her environment, and that's therefore dependent on these flow activities. When people describe this thing where they lost themselves um, for hours engaging in an activity in which they're engaged with the environment physically or, or intellectually, uh, what is going on? Like, what are the features that those yeah. those share? Um, yeah. I so love. Oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Actually, I was just going to go to the first feature. Yeah, do it. Uh, the first feature is lack of self consciousness, loss of ego. This was pretty interesting. So he talks about what. So what it means to lose self consciousness or ego, and he defi- he says the self has been tr- traditionally that of an intrapsychic mechanism which mediates between the needs of the organism like us and the social demands. Uh, placed upon it. And the the primary function of the self is to integrate one's person's actions with that of others. And hence, it is a prerequisite for a social life. And, 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 And what is lost here is not exactly like loss of self, he says, but of the self-construct, the intermediary which one between stimulus and response. So essentially that kind of running monologue in your head where you're not just doing the actions, you know, taking in the the stimulus, you know, like the, the challenge, thinking about it and then performing the action. It's what's lost is that middle part, like yeah. the fact that you're thinking about what you're doing. You're just doing it. Right. Yeah. I love that. It's like a lack of meta awareness. He says a person in flow does not operate with a dualistic perspective. One is very aware of one's actions, but not of the awareness itself. Yeah. And so being consciously aware of something is used often sort of in this interchangeable, confusing way. We're saying it's, you know, you're not blacking out here. What you are is you're just not stepping outside and looking at your awareness. This is from the book. He says, there's an active role from the self, but and loss of self-consciousness is how he talks about it in the book, is not a loss of self and certainly not a loss of consciousness, but rather only a loss of the consciousness of the self. What slips below the threshold of awareness is the concept of self, the information we use to represent who we are. But being able to forget forget temporarily who we are seems to be very enjoyable and it's true right it's like, absolutely true yeah. it's like when you you know sports is a g- great go-to example when you're playing sports you are just focused on the task at hand and you're just whatever your problems are whatever your like whatever bullshit is going on with your life is irrelevant to you like it doesn't you're in that way your identity has been just pared down to yeah. exactly what it is that you're doing yeah. right now yeah 
absolutely. And to the extent that it's interrupted by that popping in of the self, it's it's bad for your performance, right. for your happiness. Um, so he says, the typically a person can maintain emerged awareness with, I love the notion of merged awareness with their actions, yeah. um, for only short periods interspersed with interludes in which flow is broken by the actor's adoption of an outside perspective. These interruptions occur when questions flash through the actor's mind, such as, am I doing well? Or what am I doing here? Or should I be doing this? When right. one is in a flow episode, these questions simply do not come to mind. And right. yeah, and that does capture it so nicely. And as we'll get into, uh, as we keep reading this, um, that it takes time to get to that point for any activity, because at first when you're, you know, if you're just learning to whatever, play basketball, that's all that's going on. It's like, am I doing this right? Or think about driving a stick shift. Like it, what's the next thing that I need to do? That meta awareness is sort of, uh, dr actually driving all of your actions it has to get to a point where it's somewhat habitual um so that you don't need to be kind of running through your mind using your mind to kind of run through the the rules or the strategies or something like that like yeah. it really is something where that information has been internalized and now is being reflected in your actions but not in your conscious like deliberation which is interesting. Like it's it's an interesting kind of paradoxical state that part of what defines it is you're not aware that you're in a flow state. Yeah, yeah. Because like if you were aware that you, oh like I'm in a flow state now, that is means you're not right because now you're already starting to think about uh, at this meta level about what it is that you're doing rather than just doing it and you know still that requires a lot of information processing and often at the highest skill levels that 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 you're capable of but yeah. so there's uh, yeah i don't know what that says about us um it's like we're uh if you if there's an activity in which you can get into a flow state like it's like getting into an experience machine you step in knowing that right. for the next few hours this you'll be in this state but you're not that you're never going to like be making decisions about whether or not to keep engaging in that task. Um, you know, there's this whole strain of, of thought in psychology and I guess in, in some existential philosophy that um, forgetting that forgetting of self is something that we are primally drawn to. And that, you know, in moments of sort of collective ecstasy of, of religious uh, rituals or even rock concerts or even sex, that what we're enjoying is that we don't have that, we're not step, stepping outside and that meta-awareness is gone. And, and maybe that's why we drink and do drugs as well. It's always struck me as something that seems true, but not necessarily positive. Like it's never framed, it's mostly framed as an escape. Um, in a lot of that work, but here Chicken Mahai is saying, like, no, yeah, but there's these, there are these instances of actual mastery over the environment where you lose the self, and and that these seem like a much like a constructive way of losing the self. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and and but I guess there is something slightly pessimistic about the fact that we're happiest when we're <laughs> not like in our own company, you know, like <laughs> yeah. when we're not, and I think this is some people, it's really unbearable to have this kind of constant doubt and questioning and running monologue in your head. And for other people, it's less 
um, it's it's less anxiety or stress or you know depression inducing, but it's still not as good as when you're just doing the thing and you're you're you are out of it, you know, and all yeah. your doubts and questions and desires and hopes and dreams. It doesn't matter. Like you're yeah. now just this thing that you're you, doing. You know, it took this. I think this is so. It's such an obvious thing that I hadn't thought of that I was embarrassed. Um, about it, but I was talking to somebody who has severe social anxiety and they were describing it as constantly questioning everything that they're saying. So yeah. like the moment they said something, they'd be like, Did, was that a stupid thing to say? Yep. And I thought to myself, well, fuck, no wonder you have like severe social anxiety. Cause you know, I remember the first few times I ever got high off of weed, like, like one of the times my parents called and I was talking to them and every sentence that came out of my mouth Right. I was like, oh shit, did that sound high? Oh shit, did yeah. that sound high? And I was like, I, now I see how intrusive that kind of social anxiety can be where you're constantly, because um, right. if you're, you know, maybe this doesn't count as flow. I don't know if Jackson High would count it, but interacting in a social environment, like I'm comfortable just talking and not yeah. thinking about what I'm talking about. That's why we can do a podcast like this, right? Like if we were constantly <laughs> exactly. thinking about what. <laughs> no, no. We wouldn't say like 10% of the shit that we say. <laughs> I know. It's crucial that we forget certain <laughs> things in order to have these conversations. I mean, um, I think that, that relationships are a great example of like the better the relationship is, the more you're in a flow state when you're with the person. Like one great sign of how good a friend somebody is is if you can go like a year or two without seeing them yeah. and then when you see them it's like you're like nothing like no time has passed you're immediately losing yourself in your jokes and your conversations yep. but then there are other kinds of interactions that you have where it's like yeah you're thinking of it because you don't know like if like what the lines are what the things that they are going to be offended by or you have some goal it becomes means end based rather than just the intrinsic pleasure of hanging out with your like really good friends yeah that's the difference between feeling drained at the end of an interaction yes. and feeling energized thing you know exactly. we have podcast episodes where we feel energized <laughs> at the end of the interactions sometimes more than other times but yeah like um, not this one but <laughs> yeah this one's terrible <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so these are some quotes from the interviews uh that they conducted an outstanding chess player says the game is a struggle and the concentration is like breathing you never think of it the roof could fall in and if it missed you you would be unaware of it or an expert rock climber you are so involved in what you're doing, you aren't thinking of yourself as separate from the immediate activity. You don't see yourself as separate from what you are doing. And, you know, some of these things are solitary activities, and some of them aren't. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, what we were just describing is that being in unison with someone else where you, you are in such sync that it's like less, it's not even clear whose idea, you know, in, in right. memory, it's not even clear who said what. It's one, can I say one super interesting thing? That, so when he talks about the conditions for loss of you know, self-consciousness, one great way to bring this kind of state on is competition because it gives you kind of a restricted set of rules, right? Yeah. Now you have to, you know the boundaries. He says, and so he says two terms, this is from the book, describing states of social pathology apply to conditions that make flow difficult to experience, anomie and alienation. Anomie, 
literally lack of rules is the name the French sociologist Emile Durkheim gave to a condition in society in which norms of behavior had become muddled. So first of all, I didn't know that enemy was literally lack of rules. That's super interesting. But then, but that's the, you know, like when it's no longer clear what's permitted and what's not, and when it's uncertain what public opinion values, behavior becomes erratic, meaningless. And it's just so easy. This is me now, not him. It's just so easy to overthink everything because the possibilities of what you could say or could do are endless, right? And yeah. that's when you get that kind of um, anxiety thing, you know? And it's like when you take when you're acting within uh, fairly narrow constraints, you know that still allow you the freedom to excel within them. Like that's yeah. when you're gonna that's when you're gonna lose yourself. But if there's if if you can just do anything, yeah, that's when yeah. you're gonna start. You know, uh, that's such a good point. That's I mean, and I think we've talked about something like this in the context of creativity, but never, yeah, I never exactly. put it that way. Like I never. Um, where if you have constraints it just brings out this creativity but i hadn't thought about the the one of the reasons being that when you have sort of unlimited access to whatever a lot of your time is spent making meta decisions about what what you should do next right whereas if there's rules to this shit <laughs> that or constraints then those decisions are just clearer right you can't in basketball you can't just pick up the ball and run right yeah. that that you, so you don't have to think about what you know there's only a certain set of moves even if it's like obviously like a gajillion moves but i imagine mountain climbing right you know that there is a constraint in that there might be a number of options about which way to go on the rock face yeah. but it's certainly not infinite um, no and it's yeah. and it's pretty narrow kind of things that you can do right yeah. and like every, and, and the key is everyone agrees upon the rules whether it's yeah. just you and the rock or it's like you're playing a sport like uh, i think in the paper um, he says, like, the self is primarily about, like, negotiating these rules or trying to figure out yeah. what the rules are. That's something that the self or the ego does. Like, when you're with your old friends, <clears throat> even though there are no rules, you know what the limits are. You yeah. know like, what you can say, what you can't say, what, like, and that's part of what makes it so comfortable. Whereas you're just unsure in a, in other kinds of conversations, like what yeah. the boundaries are. And part of your interaction involves sort of sussing that out, which is what brings the self or the self-consciousness back into play. Right, right. Yeah, so the next uh, the next feature of flow is this centering of, atten uh, of attention. The merging of action and awareness is made possible by a centering of attention on a limited stimulus field. To ensure that people will concentrate on their actions, potentially intruding stimuli must be kept out of attention. Some writers have called this processing a narrowing of consciousness, a, quote, giving up the past and the future. One respondent, a university science professor who climbs rocks, phrased it as follows. I love this quote. When I start on a climb, it is as if my memory input has been cut off. All I can remember is the last 30 seconds, and all I can think ahead is the next five minutes. Right. Um, it's, you know, it's that's what a crippling amnesic would have. Um but uh, in the context of doing something, that's like, like the memento guy, right? <laughs> exactly the memento <laughs> guy. Yeah, but memento guy, you know, doesn't have that <laughs> that constant insertion of the questions like, "Why am I doing this?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a constant flow state. So I I want to talk to you about this in the context of sports. I'm I, have you ever seen this clip of Kobe Bryant who 
Benny would yeah. consider one of the more focused uh, NBA players. Yes. And Chris Rock, he's sitting on the bench and Chris Rock is next to him. And Chris Rock is trying to say something to him. Like Chris, you could see in the clip, Chris Rock is clearly talking to Kobe. And Kobe doesn't even acknowledge him. And I remember first seeing that and thinking, well, I mean, Kobe could be kind of a dick, but, you know, Chris Rock's trying to talk to you on the bench. I saw an interview where Kobe was saying he has zero memory of that at all. He said, I had no idea he was talking to me because he was even on the bench, so focused on the dynamics of the game that it never entered his awareness. Um, yeah. 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 Like you've narrowed down the possibilities of what matters to you yeah. or of like what you're going to pay any attention to. Because, you know, like if Chris Rock is talking to you, that's like going to steal your attention and <laughs> you're just like too focused, right? right? Like what if he says something about your wife? You know, like what if he makes a joke about it? Some conditions she has. I mean, that's actually what, that's why it's been sort of ruined that slap because now comedians have to be thinking that that was a clear case of, of rule violation in that now a comedian is going to have to think like, what if what I say is going to cause someone to come up to the stage and slap me? Uh, it's hard to get into flow when you're worried about getting slapped. The composer yeah. says, I get quite, quite oblivious to my surroundings. I think that the phone could ring, the doorbell could ring, the house could burn down or something like that. When I start working, I really do shut out the world. But once I stop, I can let it back in again. It's so interesting that that is pleasurable as a state. Yeah. Um, but it, re it really is. And this is where he says the rules of games define what the relevant stimulus stimuli are and exclude everything else as irrelevant um so then like so you have rules you have competition that's you're just motivated to pay more attention when you you know you could lose money you know like and and, and it's not about the money as he quotes dostoevsky saying like it's the money has nothing to do with it but it's it's like, I think you need that with, say, poker, which I can get in a flow state playing poker. You need the money not because, like, the money is the meaningful thing, but because it provides, like, the constraint feedback. of the game. Yeah, yeah. It's feedback. Exactly. Right. It's it's telling you how good you're doing. I mean, that's why rock climbing is so freaky to me, um, or yeah. some kinds of rock climbing, because the rules are just, like, physics and life, right? Like, the, the very real constraint is that if you mess up, the consequences are that you get severely injured. Um or you lose money, you're, you know, skin in the game. Um, yep. But that is serving as a, a, a constraint and, and obviously focusing your attention. So then the next thing says loss of ego, which right. seems we guys, very we're kind similar. Of to, about yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> um, if you're centered your attention uh, so much um, and your action and awareness are so, are so merged, then it's hard to, to have too much room. Um, but this is where, like, a lot of that stuff that we were talking about at the beginning, I kind of bumped it up yeah. front. But this is where that quote about the self-construct mm -hmm. is between. One thing we didn't mention about it is it's also, like, t it fucks with time, right? Yeah, like, he quotes right. a chess player saying, like, time passes 100 times faster. In this sense, it resembles a dream state. A whole f story can unfold in seconds, it seems. Your body is non-existent, but actually your heart pumps like mad to supply the the brain um and it's it's really the goal of so much practice is to just merge that your overthinking mind with the environment and to get to a point where you're letting go of all the things that sort of define you so that you can just be part of what it is that you're doing this episode of very bad wizards is brought to you by a new sponsor ren.co 
Ren is a startup that's making it easy for everyone to make a meaningful difference in the climate crisis. Right now, they're focused on monthly subscriptions where you can calculate your carbon footprint, then offset it by supporting awesome, amazing climate projects that do things like plant trees, protect rainforests, and remove CO2 from the sky. Their goal is to unlock the collective action of millions of individuals to drive the systemic change needed to end the climate crisis. Now, if you're like me, you're worried about the climate crisis, but uh, you're paralyzed by the sort of inability to know what you can do personally. My default strategy is just usually to blame corporations and then go on doing what I normally do. But there are ways, there are solutions, and Ren.co is one of those. When you sign up for Ren, your money will go toward projects that are designed to end the climate crisis. If you're one of those people who thinks that the answer will come from technology, that is technologies that are developed to improve the environment, well, there is a whole group of projects that Ren.co supports that are designed, that are directed at that solution. Um, if you think that the best way to enforce climate change is to uh, put pressure on corporations and governments, they actually have a whole section of projects that are involved in policy, where they support leading policy groups that push for changes to economies, agriculture, infrastructure, and the power grid. Basically, every system that influences our planet's climate. So signing up for REN is an easy way to do something meaningful about the climate crisis. They're very transparent about where your money goes. You can um, actually, when you log in and you sign up with them, you'll see exactly where each of your dollars goes down to the coordinates of the trees that are planted. It's going to take all of us to end the climate crisis. Do your part today by signing up for REN. Go to ren.co slash VBW. And when you do, if you sign up, they'll plant 10 extra trees in your name. That's Ren, W-R-E-N dot C-O slash V-B-W. Start making a difference. Our thanks to Ren for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. Sometimes I'm tempted to, to think of, I don't know, pr practicing a skill or doing something really because of the end state that it will produce, where you will have said, I won this game or I climbed this mountain. But it... It really is true that the enjoyment comes from the participation. So, and, and that calming down or quieting of the ego from intruding is when I think about it, why, you know, like I picked up a deck of cards, like whatever, six years ago now, just to try to learn slight, mm -hmm. sleight of hand stuff. And I realized that I was just using it as a way to calm that voice to, to right. get myself into a state where that constant practice, it's not about whether or not I could perform a trick at the end of the day. It's just about like developing a skill, like having it unfold in this way where you're challenging yourself and you're controlling, well, this gets to the other one, the control of action environment. Those small ways in which you can exert control in this, albeit constrained situation, you're exerting control over the environment. That just feels good. And one of the reasons that really does feel good is because you're not thinking of other shit. Yeah, because you have enough to think about in, in the activity itself, even though you're not aware of thinking about it. You know, a big flow activity for me is scuba diving. Huh. And I've, I've always sort of wondered what, I, I mean, it's, it's so beautiful right. to do. So that part is obviously 
But one thing that this paper made me understand is part of what's so flow-like about scuba diving is there are a lot of things you have to do, you know, yeah. like they're not hard. You get in the water, there's certain things now that you have to do and you have to, you have to equalize, you have to, you have to get a kind of good balance in the water. And there's all sorts of things you have to do on the boat and you have to check and you have a buddy and you have hand singles with your buddy. So you're like constantly doing stuff, but in a way that instead of distracting you from the beauty actually lets you fully take in the beauty or become like a part of the beauty because yeah. it occupies you just enough so that now you're just fully involved in a way that like, although I love hiking, hiking doesn't do that because there's nothing to do while you're hiking except <laughs> walk, you right. know? But I think scuba diving, because it has all these other things, provides the perfect amount of just stuff to occupy your brain. Whereas hiking, you can you really can get lost in thought because right. you, there's nothing to occupy the self or the ego at that point. Yeah, that's right. This This gets to the, like in this particular paper, he doesn't talk too much about skill. Um, I mean, he, he gets to it when he sort of formally presents what gets you into flow. And But um, as I was saying earlier, it takes time for any activity to be able to get you into a state of flow because you have to work through the part where all of those things aren't constant, like second guessing things that you're doing. Like I, I imagine that there are people who might never get into flow states because they've never had the time or taken the time to acquire the skills. Now, I don't know. I mean, maybe just by dint of being human, a human being on this earth, you, there will be something. But it really is the case that you, you need to put enough time into something to even get close to flow. Um, and there are so many more things that I've given up on before, getting, before being able to get there. So I like I'm not sure if I agree. I think that is a characteristic of a lot of flow states and maybe some of the best and most reliable ones. But I think you get like mini flow from like Wordle and Dirtle and Quirtle and Octurtle, you know, like yeah. those Octurtles sometimes where it's like everything's just coming to you. You just know the word. Like you're barely even thinking about it. Like, but you didn't we didn't have to spend that much time doing that. Well, you know? the, the, yeah, that gets to to the question of whether those those are true flow states. Uh, yeah. you know, so do you not think that they are? I think they might be, but I think that what you're um, ignoring is probably the just the sheer amount of time it took us to get to the point where we can play those games. So it's more like that some of the work has been um, is done by the game creator in tapping into these skills that we already have. Right. Um, and so they've made it easy for us to use our skills and, and abilities. Like it's like the first time you play a brand new game. Oh yeah. Some, like it's, but the, the whole Wordle thing, he did create something that's, that taps yeah. into something that we already have. I don't know. That's fair. Right. I think that's true. But I think some things are much harder to get to the point where you're going to experience a flow state of it. Like, you know, like for me, like piano or something like that, getting yeah. to a point where playing piano is a flow state would have taken me probably like more than the time I'm going to live on the earth. Some stuff like takes years. It takes years yeah. and years. And yeah. some stuff just doesn't. Like, you know, when you're a kid, just playing is is doing that. Right. You're playing already. Like, you know how to do that. You know, right. like... Just one rule, like friends. tag. Like, you know, yeah. and all of the, exactly. the tacit rules that are that are involved in it can get you into flow. So, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. It's funny because I look back on the particular choices that people make in terms of the skills and hobbies that they develop and... You know, some people like 
model trains. And it's yeah. easy to sort of, when you're a kid, you're just like, it's easy to mock some people for some of the choices that they make. But God damn it, if those people don't seem happy when they're doing that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. like they're just in this amazing flow state when they're putting together little models and painting like Bobby Bacala um, on the yeah, Soprano. <laughs> right. Oh, with the trains. The train. Oh, poor Bobby Bacala. <laughs> He has a lot of stuff he probably wants to forget, but yeah. like, and that's a way of doing that in a way that doesn't. So one thing he doesn't distinguish, but it's probably worth distinguishing is the other way you can do that is just zone out and watch like shitty, well, you know, yeah, or not like even this. shitty, but like, okay, there's a way of just, all right, I'm going to watch like 30 law and orders back yeah. to back um, to forget about my problems. Yeah. Well, that's, and this isn't that. No, it's not. And that, and and I think that sort of passivity is excluded in his definition yeah. of it. And I don't know how intentional it was, but you know, s- skill and challenge and acting on the environment are central to to the concept of flow. And uh, again, we did talk about shitty flow in, in when we were talking with Paul. And it seems like those things might mimic the what you get is some of the features were like you could the have loss, loss of, of ego. self, loss of ego. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't think it's a recipe for, you know, because I think Chicks High here is is giving a recipe for a, a happy life, like a happy, yeah. meaningful life. Like at the end of those binge watching Law and Order, you don't feel good. At you least don't I feel don't. fulfilled. Yeah, no. it's it's not a. Cha- There's something that is so deeply rewarding about mastery. Um, yeah, the, the challenge, the opponent, which. Makes it clear to me why evolutionary psychologists might want to think that this, you talk about it in evolutionary terms. I think that's fair because there is good. It's good to have that desire to have mastery over your environment. Um, Control as a as a feature of flow implies that it's not just passive. Yeah, like you're watching a law and order. You don't have any control over like you're just passively receiving it. Whereas flow experiences involve you interacting with the environment. Yeah. And you know that feeling is so great when you're practicing and practicing something. It's so hard. It's so hard. You're practicing it. And yeah. that very first time where you did it and it, and you weren't having to think too much about it, it just happened. It's It almost feels like incredible that we're capable of of acquiring yeah. skills like that. You know, the... the I could think of the first time a particular card slight actually worked. Like, cause at first I would think this is actually physically impossible or right. Mahai talks about this dancer. Um, yeah. So this is a, da- a dancer says a strong relax, relaxation and calmness comes over me. I have no worries of failure. What a powerful and warm feeling it is. I want to expand, hug the world. I feel enormous power to affect something of grace and beauty, which again is not the feeling you get when you're just on the internet or watching passively a TV. There's still that kind of antsiness. Right. Yeah. It's not relaxing in the way that when you're doing these kinds of things and you're good at them, it's incredible also that we just don't try to set up our life so that we do way more of I, I Yeah. I, I really do think it's because um, it's hard to get there. And we don't have that much time to work yeah. on the kinds of skills that will get us there in this deeply rewarding way. I think. Thanks, capitalism. I, yeah. <laughs> or just life. Or just it life, might just I be think. life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the next feature, he says, another quality of the experience is that it usually contains 
coherent, non-contradictory demands for action and provides clear, unambiguous feedback to a person's actions. That's so key. Yeah. These components of flow, like the preceding ones, are made possible by limiting awareness to a restricted field of possibilities. I think that's got to be like one of the most essential aspects of all of what makes flow states conducive. You know, like when you're doing magic, right? Like there's not that many things you can do to make the trick no, work. Absolutely. There's just yeah. yeah. And when and and you know when it works <laughs> very clearly. <laughs> you know it works very clearly. Exactly, yeah. right? Like if we if we're all like how the fuck did you do that? Yeah. Um I really like this idea. We're harping on it, but I really like this idea of this constraint, this constraining possibilities, you know. In my mind I was thinking it's the difference between choosing which game to play and choosing what to do when you're playing the game. Like there really is two different modes of being. Like if it's a game that I'm good at, what could be hard is deciding whether which game you want to play to begin with. Exactly. If you're if you've already decided on the game, then you're now just playing the game and that's it. If you have to think about what game should we play, should we play a game or should we watch TV? Or should we just sit outside and talk? Or should right. we like all of a sudden like that's too many possibilities, <laughs> yeah. no flow state. That's why some of the most anxiety inducing situations is when you don't know what game you're playing. Like think about that socially. Is it yeah. it, it really is the case where where you have not come to a consensus with other people about which game it is you're playing and whether that's because you're in a different culture or these are new people that you haven't interacted with yet or it's a new phase of a relationship and you're not quite sure you know whether joke these kinds of jokes are okay like all of those all, all life is full of those uncertain moments life is primarily those uncertain moments and like you were saying that's where the ego that's the hard work of reflecting and deliberating and anxiously wanting to know what other people might be thinking. And then when we get right. these moments where everybody knows the rules, like, okay, once that's why people, I think, you know, say things like, you know, once I step on the court, you leave everything behind that the end of that actually says, um, in other words, the flow experience differs from awareness and everyday reality because it contains ordered rules, which make an act, which make action and the evaluation of action automatic and hence unproblematic. When contradictory actions are made possible, as for instance, when cheating is introduced into a game, the self reappears again to negotiate between the conflicting definitions of what needs to be done and the flow is interrupted. Yeah. It's like, yeah. wait, you, you can't, know, you there's can... no crying in baseball. <laughs> this can be broadened so much. That's what I loved about the thing about an enemy. It's like you see this just delicate balance between when there are overly restrictive rules, mm -hmm. which limits your autonomy in, in ways that can be oppressive. But then there's no rules in culture and life, which then also has this problem of, well, now the possibilities are endless. I, like, I think I thought about like millennials like not trying to decide whether to have kids or not. Like it's good that you can decide yeah. not whether to have kids. Nobody that shouldn't there shouldn't be pressure on people to just keep overpopulating the planet. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like that didn't used to be something that occupied people's attention and deliberation. Everyone yeah. just tried to have kids and that was that. That's what's expected of you that's what you did and now that this is something that you have to do like a cost benefit analysis for that's just another element of like stress yeah. uh, when the game is picked better or for worse but but again that can be oppressive it can be it can be terrible yeah. but it's also what can be great that, so it's yeah, just a question of what the best game and rules are you know right absolutely the the task of choosing what the best rules are is daunting and i think that's what you're saying is actually like a good explanation for why traditionalism, for instance, is attractive 
And so, right. yeah, I think we can be a bit unfair to people who who have this strong desire for to maintain the social roles that they were yeah. brought up with. I mean, as you say, some of those are oppressive, and so we should obviously change them. But there is this freedom from knowing. I don't have to worry about a whole bunch of stuff if I know that I'm going to be this. You just go to the KKK rally because that's and what everybody say, does. Like, yeah. You know, down with the Jews, right? If I right. if I have to now decide like <laughs> which races should be allowed to have freedom, that's daunting for me. I don't want to do it. We're we're definitely entering Substack starter <laughs> with your defensive trads and <laughs> no, but I think that's right. Yeah. Like this can be broadened outwards. Like it's not flow it's, exactly, right. you know, to have certain things settled. But it's the same kind of idea of you know, like that nausea that Sartre talks about. The possibilities of your action are endless, and your decision will be a big part of defining who you are that's an anxiety producing state yeah yeah so there is like the there's the reduction of friction in narrowing of possibilities but what i really do like about what this notion of flow is adding is the the development of skill this state that requires increasing skill and increasing challenge yeah yeah yeah. the final characteristic is that autotelic nature which is when you Stroke your own penis. <laughs> so, is T is T-Lick your nickname for your job? <laughs> that's, that's, what I, that's what I call my penis. T-Lick. Hey, T-Lick, let's. Are you ready for another round? You want to go? <laughs> it, it is funny though that you know that Chicksamahai is having to fight against people who think that things can't be intrinsically meaningful. You know, so so he he goes to some length to be like, look, obviously. There are these autotelic uh, activities. Because practically every writer who has dealt with play has remarked on the autotelic nature of this activity. And so he quotes um, the Bhagavad Gita. Let the motive be in the deed and not in the event. Be not one whose motive for action is the hope of reward. And he talks about uh, a poet yeah. talking about rock climbing. The mystique of rock climbing is climbing. You get to the top of the rock, glad it's over, but really wish it would go forever. The justification of climbing is climbing like the justification of poetry is writing. You don't conquer anything except things in yourself. The act of writing justifies poetry. The purpose of the flow is to keep on flowing, not looking for a peak or utopia, but staying in the flow. It's not a moving up, but a continuous flowing. You move up only to keep the flow going. There's no possible reason for climbing except the climbing itself. It is a self-communication. You're not doing it for anything other than the doing of it at that moment in the present. And and the only reason you would want to get better at something is so that the flow could keep continuing not for some other end yeah absolutely and being like the best in the world at something those people are constantly on the lookout for somebody or something that can keep challenging them I'm so jealous of those other podcasts that still have something to shoot for, <laughs> but we've like perfected. The, Is there? Uh, there's nothing more than five stars. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It ends at five. After outlining these conditions for what makes a flow state, uh, Chicksmithai has a he proposes it's sort of a preliminary um, systematizing of what this looks like. So he says. Uh, but this is my kind of system. Yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. like a complicated model. No, there's not a whole bunch of boxes and arrows. It's elegant. It's actually elegant. Um, yeah. Really, flow is the balance between having skill and the right kind of challenge. If something is uh, 
too far beyond your skill, the ego would keep popping in and telling you like, you got to, what you have to do to improve. It's just not fun. It's not flowy. Right. It can be either just worrying because you're just thinking about it, whether you're doing it right or at the extreme end, if the challenges are so hard, but your skills are not uh, anywhere close to being able to meet them, then that's anxiety yeah. producing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, if you are so good at something and the challenge is low, then, right, that's just boring. Um, yeah, right. the more that's true, the more, so why do you think that is? That the more that's true, he says, then you go back to anxiety again. So anxiety is on the extremes of both ends of this. It's that antsiness. I don't know. It's like... It, it, yeah. Yeah. You're not occupied anymore. When you're so not occupied, because your cognitive abilities are not being exercised in any way, it's the the self-consciousness creeping comes back, back in. in a big way. And if it, it comes can, back right? in it, too... If it comes back in too strong, then it's going to be... Um, you know, like, uh, that's anxiety producing is to have too much consciousness of self. Right. It's like, yeah, it's like not even engaging in it, in the activity. You might as well. The ego has all of the same ability to just pop right back into your mind. Cause it's not, you don't need to focus. If I have a criticism of this model and it, also a slight resistance to, to when, you know, when you keep emphasizing that everything is about developing the skills and the times that it takes to develop the skill. I, well, I think that's true of, of a lot and probably most flow activities. It feels like, and especially when it, if we're talking about social relationships or just being with family that you love, friends that you feel comfortable around, that seems to me to be also like flow experience but not involving skills unless skills now just, you know, social interaction or something like that. But it's really more just the experience of being with these people that allows the loss of ego, it allows, it allows all these things. It doesn't seem to me to map much on skills. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. I would just say that then that's not flow. I don't know what Chicksen High would say where you could, you could be like, no, there are other ways to both have like a purposeful set of activities that where the ego dissolves a bit. Um, but that's not what he's talking about. But I think phenomenologically, it's a similar kind of experience, I guess. Where you, or you if lose not, the time. Just, like you lose the time. Yeah, you lose the time. It's It feels easy. Everything comes natural. You don't feel like, you know, even just playing a game that doesn't require a ton of skill, but like playing it with these people that you love and I don't know, like, I feel like in the book he talks about this to some extent, but I, I only really skimmed through that. But I, I think he wouldn't mind calling some of those experiences flows. But I've thought of this before because the, the because of the kinds of experiences like, um, you know, when we were talking about browsing Reddit or something um, can get yeah. you lost. Like my fear would be that he would sort of call everything flow that that is but that's, like i don't think that's an analogy like they're getting lost on reddit isn't like hanging out with like family and yeah friends but that you but, love. Uh, but you could say it's you lose yourself you lose a sense of time like you want to keep doing it but like, it's a, it has a couple of them maybe but it's not ex like intrinsically rewarding it's not these, so taking this paper yeah. at face value where he's saying like that he is trying to describe actions in which you're engaging with the environment at a particular level of skill, then I guess I would say either 
there is a swath of things like in this fuzzy category of, of what you might call flow, where it's like there's never going to be some sort of necessary and sufficient thing. That some, there are some states that are flowy in this way and some states that are flowy in that way. And his little graph of skill and challenge maybe doesn't perfectly capture family interactions. And that's fine. It's just like a, a flow of a different sort. I think you would say either that or focus particularly on on skillful behavior and maybe family interactions involve a kind of skill that you're just not aware that you have. Yeah, I, I just think you could make a slightly broader model that captured both the the social flow and and skillful flow but 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 left out because it's phenomenologically different, you know, spending 3 hours on the internet. Yeah. It is a good question, though. I was trying to think what would be um, the kind of family interaction in which you weren't feeling flow. So now imagine all of those things are going on in your familial interaction. You're you're having all of these. What would pop you out of that? What would bring your ego back into it? Uh, that well, like tense, a kind of tense conflict. Like when relationships are going bad, you start to do a lot of the things that you start to do when so, your skill level isn't matching the you know like you start overthinking things you start like some it uh, seems like it reminds me of the somebody cheating discussion that he has in the paper where what pops you out is that somebody has like not going by yeah. the rules and that i think that does right. capture some features of relationship yeah right and so you now have to renegotiate <laughs> yeah or exactly something, or like figure out what they are yeah. now and that's the key, you know, like in, in skillful <laughs> stuff, like you, th that's all settled. Yeah. And now you just work within right. that. Like stepsister, but, I don't think we're supposed to be doing this. So, but <laughs> maybe we renegotiate so I can make some. Is that the ultimate flow activity? <laughs> it's better than autotelic. <laughs> yeah. Step sibling, like sexual exploration. <laughs> Oh, God, I hope people know that you're making Pornhub references. <laughs> you were the one that brought it up. So. <laughs> that I mean. This is your substat. <laughs> analysis of relationship flow. <laughs> it's like you could do that graph, but it's like, you know, step is the ideal, like just full on like brother or sister. That, that gets you into the worry or anxiety, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then if you're not related at all that's boredom and then ultimately anxiety <laughs> you know <laughs> yes I know <laughs> <laughs> alright you popped me out of my flow for this for this episode <laughs> and now I have to worry about whether we violated any rules <laughs> exactly oh god um I mean, I guess that was the only thing I wanted. To, the only last thing I wanted to say. Do you have any? Yeah, you know what's funny is that there's like 30, 40 years of research that uh, might might say something about the questions that we raised. But that's why this is uh, an episode about a classic paper uh, because we don't have to worry yeah. about all of the progress that people have made toward answering these questions. Totally. Um, well, the challenge of editing this particular episode <laughs> now. Is, is is too high for my skills and I am in the anxiety territory. So, All right. <laughs> but that's my problem, not yours. Join us next time on Very Bad Wizards. The great and fast has spoken. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. 